Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for the next half hour or so of this conversation. And you know, we really try to bring you the best stories from the Columbus business community. We go in-depth with leaders, decision makers, and many more. We record the show at Capital University's Convergent Media Center. The center is a collaborative space where students and faculty from diverse areas of study work together in new and exciting ways. And speaking of new and exciting media, we have Doug Joseph with us today for this conversation, founder and CEO of Serif Creative. Excited to have you in the studio, Doug. Welcome to CBUS. Thanks, Michaela. Excited to be on the show. Serif Creative has a deeply creative agency model that works to create compelling and hyper-connected content. But Doug is also the executive director of the Columbus International Film and Animation Festival, an annual gathering that aims to encourage and promote the use of film and video in education and communication. So an entrepreneur, a business owner, and a really artful eye. So I, we're, again, excited to have you and what a breadth of experience. So before we dive really into the entrepreneur and business owner part of it, tell me a little about yourself and your background and our listeners. I understand you're an Ohio native. Sure, happy to share. So my background is in indie filmmaking and I traveled all over the world producing documentaries, uh, short films, music videos, in Iceland, Nepal, and Indonesia. And I was actually chatting with uh, my leadership coach one day and trying to really figure out where this passion came from. Um, At the end of the day, I think what I'm most passionate about is community. And my love for community started in my grandma's biker bar. Did you say biker bar? That's correct. Your grandma had a biker bar. Okay, tell me about that. Growing up... Uh, my parents would drop me off uh, at the biker bar during the day to be babysat when the bar wasn't really in normal working hours. And I would take naps on the pool table. I would hang out with factory workers and bikers. And I was sharing this with my leadership coach as though it was normal. He's like, what? So you, that, that actually happened to you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, it was part of life. But it was there where I really think I learned the art of storytelling and community and I'd hang out with bikers and factory workers. And I think that's really the genesis and where it all started. Because around the bar and when people are done with their day at work, that's where some of the greatest stories get told. Sure. So you did. we were talking about this kind of offline. You didn't go to college. You literally developed this talent. If it stemmed from this moment in, these, in this biker bar where these stories are being told, it, it developed from there. And you just started traveling on your own. I mean, how do you go from graduating high school to that happening? That's a long story. I will give you the... The bullet points? I'll give you the trailer, not the entire uh, feature <laughs> film. One Christmas day, my dad was using a VHS over-the-shoulder uh, beta cam. Remember those? I totally used it all the time growing up, yes. Mm-hmm. And one day, he let me use it. And when I looked through the viewfinder, viewfinder, I saw the world differently. I saw colors differently. And it was at that moment, I realized I wanted to get into the film game. So I decided to go on this journey and learn as much as I could about film. So when I was in high school... I read a book by Robert Rodriguez. He's one of my heroes. He's the director of Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperado, uh, Sin City. And in his book, um, he tells the story of making El Mariachi, which went on to win 
uh, and the Sundance Film Festival. And after reading the book, I thought, you know, if he can do it, I can do it too. And when I was in high school, my best friend and I at the time, we wrote a script about six guys who burglarize a dentist's office. And (laughs) (laughs) it sounds ridiculous. And I'm completely aware of that. And if I can only go back to my younger self and ask, what was I doing? Where where did the storyline come from? (laughs) Right. And we, between the two of us, uh, we saved uh, roughly $32,000. We were middle class. Uh, We worked odd jobs, roofing, yard work, worked at a factory. And we sat out to produce the film. And we got three days in the production. And we were overly ambitious, lacked direction. And it fell apart. It broke me. And from there, I decided to jump into uh, freelance uh, commercial work, and we parted out the equipment, and I started producing uh, commercials. The first one that I did was a pro bono project for a local coffee shop in my hometown, Zanesville, and they were struggling a little bit, and I wanted to help them. So I produced the commercial, and one of the team members from the coffee shop went on to work in the marketing department at a high university, And then she brought me to the table to produce commercials for a high university. And that's what really launched um, my career into commercial filmmaking. So Serif was founded in my apartment in 2009 um, on my kitchen table. And for the first year, I was doing everything, acquiring the work, shooting, editing, delivering, the full cycle. And then I brought on an editor. And since then, um, we've been able to serve over 200 companies, ranging from Abbott Labs to Quicken Loans to High State University to local favorites like Wolfridge Brewing. And it's been a remarkable experience. How did the international work start to happen? That is a long story. Uh, that was just through uh, connections I had established and getting my freelance portfolio out there. And one thing will lead to another. Uh, I wish I had a, a juicier answer for you. But is it word of mouth about your work? Is that what you found within the business community? Business communities, I should say. Mm-hmm. My freelance work that I was doing prior to starting Serif, um, short films, uh, I always strive to make an emotional connection. I wanted people to feel something. And uh, that's something I really tried to hone in on and specialize in. And because of that, when when companies or artists wanted really to make an, a, make an emotional connection uh, and produce creative that's very emotive, that they would reach out to me to produce those films. Got it. So that's really your sweet spot or was your sweet spot as you were starting, Serif. Mm-hmm. From those international trips, what did you take away in business that you still apply today, do you think? Yeah, great question. I think having an open mind and just being open to different people's perspective and knowing that uh, people have different worldviews than I do. And it gave me an ability to look through a different lens and see from their point of view, being in different cultures. Uh, For example, there was this one film shoot I was on, the entire crew was from Kenya. And I was the only person on the film crew who was not from Kenya. And so I got to see how uh, they live their lives. And Uh, one day on the film set, the director had his daughter and she was acting up. And he said to me, (laughs) it's funny, I just now remember the story. (laughs) He said to me, if you want, you can spank her. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, in Kenya, we discipline our children by the community. 
And that was very eye-opening to me. You saw all different cultures and all different ways how societies operate. And so Mm -hmm. for you bringing that to the business experience, it does. It provides a wider perspective, I can imagine. So you did start this at a kitchen table, ultimately, the business. What made you decide to take the leap into entrepreneurship at that very moment when you were at that table? How did you know the timing was right? The timing wasn't perfect, but entrepreneurship was in my blood. It was in my DNA. And ever since I was a child, I knew that's what I wanted to do. That was my calling in life. So growing up, I hosted card shows in my friend's attic. I put up posters to market the card shows. I uh, mowed lawns. I was always doing something entrepreneurial as a kid. So it's, it's been in my DNA, and I knew that uh, my entire life. I wanted to do something on my own. Well, your grandmother had a biker bar. That was her thing, right? Like her deal. So for you, you have to have a business plan for these kinds of things, though. And you have to have some objectives. You know, we get honest and transparent around here. And sometimes it's not always pretty when you're starting things out by yourself. Your face shows me that you know exactly what I'm talking about. So how did that look in the beginning, creating a a plan. We'll use the term loosely at the beginning. And how has it how has it changed as the business has evolved and grown? I wish I could say there was an elaborate plan in the early days of Seraf, but at that time it was just about producing the work. And it was project to project. And I never took on investors. I never took on uh, a significant amount of debt. Uh, and we generated revenue day one. It was a matter of doing the project, generating the revenue, and then moving towards the next one. Mm-hmm. And I take it you didn't have a lot of overhead because were you doing it out of your, were you editing out of your house and how did that work? Yeah, at the time I was working out of my apartment and there was a studio uh, downstairs that I would work out of as well. Oh, that's nice. Occasionally that's where I would have client meetings and, but for the most part I was working out of my apartment. And in the early days, I really didn't have a desire to become a business owner with a team and a payroll. There's very much a difference between being a freelancer and a business owner. And in the early days, Sarah was just me. But then I realized having a team was very rewarding and I could um, make a much deeper impact. And something that really drives me now is being able to provide for others and to have a payroll and to be able to take care of people and help them reach their goals and become the best versions of themselves is very, very rewarding. Um, Something I'm very proud of uh, last year, uh, we have an integrated team of over 800 folks. So we have designers, developers, illustrators. So we were able to hire over 800 people as freelancers, 1099s. And then we have our full-time team as well. Gosh, you must be working all over with that kind of integrated team. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk specifically, given what you just said, about the exact services that Serif offers. So, So what are they? And what do you find really sets you apart from the rest of the industry, given those services? Great question. So when the company was founded, it was primarily a video production company. And as we grew and evolved, we started to add branding, Uh, design, web development, because we would produce a beautiful commercial, a beautiful story film, and it would live on our client's website. And it wouldn't be congruent with the rest of the creative. It wouldn't be consistent. And the client would ask us, hey, can you help us with our logo? Hey, can you help us with our website? And we would pass it off to friends of ours 
But then we realize, wait, we're creative. We can do this. So now our services are all on par uh, with our video production. So from a capability standpoint, video production, branding, web development, and strategy. And I believe what really sets us apart is two things. Our strategy summits, it's a high-level plan that we produce uh, with executives to help them get to the North Star. And we can plan the work and work the plan. Because we are makers, it allows us to plan in a really unique way. We can create the blueprints and build the house too. And I think that really separates us. And the second thing uh, that I really believe gives us an unfair advantage in the market is we have a methodology that we built from scratch. Uh, we call it a content studio. And one client of ours, um, over the course of two years, we produced over 3,000 assets. And to put that in perspective, uh, one of our clients, they have an in-house agency of over 250 team members. In the course of one year, they produce 12,000 assets. And their CMO measures their success by the number of assets they produce. Whereas we had a team of eight, and we produced you know, a significant amount of assets compared to a team of 250. So when we approach our creative, we're doing it uh, from a very efficient manner. We're looking at it from all angles. When we produce a film, we're thinking of it in terms of how will this live on the web? How will this live uh, in digital space? How will this live in the social space? So we're, we're creating as many assets and being efficient with our creative. So this integrated team you had, you said 800 when it comes to the 1099s and... Oh, I, I didn't mean to say 800. That's, <laughs> Apologies. That's okay. I, I meant to say 80. 80. 80 and 800 are different, yes. 80, 800 eventually. We'll get there. <laughs> that, that's a great goal. And I have this feeling you're headed that direction, given what you guys do in your creative. So you have 80, this integrated team of 80. How do you find the right 1099s who have the same vision that you do? Because I know some of our listeners, our business listeners right now, have that same kind of structure. And maybe you felt the struggle of that. Sure. That's a great question. When we bring on a new team member, whether it's our staff or it's a freelancer, uh, most of our freelancers we've worked with for five plus years, and some of whom we're working project to project, but we're making we always make sure our values align. And the four values we're looking for are personal relational skills, initiative, creativity, and energy. And I know if we hit the mark on those four, they're going to be a good fit for our culture. What do you think has been the most exciting project you've worked on? The first one that comes to my mind, uh, last year we produced a commercial with the LA Chargers running back Melvin Gordon. Uh, the film shoot was uh, in San Diego. It was a huge production. And at the time... Leading up to the shoot during the pre-production, I was determined to direct it. And I was adamant I was going to do it. And our cinematographer, uh, his name is Adam Brigham, and he came to me and said, Doug, I want to direct it. And I told him, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And he kept fighting and fighting to direct. And eventually I said, all right, well, why do you think you should direct. And he said, I think I have a, a greater vision for this project than you do. I said, okay. And he's like, and directors have vision. So you really challenged me. That's some confidence too. I loved it. Yeah. I, I loved it. And I'm like, that's what directors do. They challenge, they take charge. And I saw that he was taking charge and challenging me and I let him direct the project. And 
um, I don't, it's, it's interesting because now at Seraph, I, I don't, I'm not as hands-on in all of our productions like I used to be in the early days. And that was really hard for me to give up. It's been one of my biggest struggles as a, a business owner, but I've learned to empower our team and create opportunities for them. And I love that now. I wouldn't want it any other way. But back to the story with Adam, like he took it to the next level. I was so proud of him. And we were filming on Mission Beach, 5 a.m. And um, the talent did not want to get into the ocean because it was cold. <laughs> and uh, uh. we needed him to you know, take off his shoes and he refused to do it. And Adam took off his shoes, got in the ocean and he's, you know, 150 pounds. And we're working with, you know, the LA Chargers running back He's 230 pounds. And he saw Adam get into the water and then he led by example. And then he, then Melvin Gordon got into the water uh-huh. and, I, and I just, I loved it. The reason why that project was so exciting for me, it was the first time I really um, relinquished control and gave it to a team member and just truly empowered them and allowed them to run with it. And I was behind the scenes. And that project was two years ago. Uh, I said a year earlier, it's two years ago. And that's always stood out. Uh, the second project uh, is Noble Cut Distillery. Uh, they're a local distillery based in Gahanna. And we had the opportunity to build out their brand. And we were able to produce the illustrations, the copy, all the label design, the architecture, and holistically so involved with this. Absolutely. And because we were able to uh, look at it from so many different angles and approach it holistically, it was just such a great experience uh, collaborating with their team. And they have a, a wonderful product, too. So that was your second one. That's the second. So... You know, we've all heard the saying that teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> and it sounds like you have a great team and you've learned how to be a good leader for this team. How did you decide it was time to grow? Because you didn't all of a sudden become, you know, an integrated team of 80. And what advice do you have for solopreneurs that are thinking about maybe becoming a leader and making that growth in the very small company they started? Sure. Great question. If I had to give advice to someone who wants to grow a company, grow a team, I would only take advice from people who are where you want to be. There's so much noise in today's society, and there are so many different resources where um, you can learn, but I recommend only listening to folks who you look up to and admire. If Steven Spielberg were to give me advice on a film, I would listen to it. If uh, you know an amateur filmmaker is giving me advice, I'm going to try to tune it out and take it with a grain of salt. I mean, still listen, but I really try to be careful about my inputs and, and who I'm listening to. A lot goes into building a business. Is there anything that you wish you would have been better prepared for? Yes. I wish in the early days I would have been more disciplined in terms of when I wake up, how I manage my mental thought life, how I go about my preparation. And preparation is everything. It is, preparation is the prize. Preparation is the process. And I wish in the early days I would have known how important preparation is. And that's for every area of the business, whether it's a branding initiative, whether it's strategy work, uh, whether it's a video production. And I wish I would have known more about how to compartmentalize my 
thought life and learning how to context switch, shift gears, because I might jump from a client pitch to a conference call to a film set to (laughs) putting out a fire and learning how to manage that. And I've developed mental frameworks now that allow me to shift those gears. So what did the Small Business Council do exactly for you and where you were in your career? Because obviously you must have raised your hand to say, I want to be a part of this. Yes, it was uh, an incredible experience. It was uh, very rewarding to be able to give back to the chamber and offer up my insights and what it's like running a business from a day-to-day perspective and to be able to help inform uh, the chamber in their strategic direction. And some of the relationships I was able to form while uh, being on that board uh, were incredible and uh, we'll be forever thankful for that. You recently relocated, Sarah, from the Short North to the Brewery District. So how did that switch come about? One great place to another, but I'm curious. Yes, we had a fantastic time working out of the Short North um, on High Street uh, above Bernard's Tavern. And we simply just outgrew our office. And we were looking for a new office space. And we wanted to have something that was centrally located uh, with tall ceilings so we could do pickup productions on an as-needed basis. Uh, We wanted to have the right aesthetic and parking. To get all four of those things uh, in Columbus right now is really difficult. And as we are going through that process, uh, it made more sense for us to make a purchase on a building rather than rent, just from a sheer economic standpoint. Uh, So my president and I, uh, Andy Siebler, uh, we went in together on purchasing uh, the building in the brewery district. And that was... (laughs) Quite the learning experience going through a major renovation, gut job, uh, completely resetting the space. So Seraph is, is now a multi-million dollar agency, but you're constantly learning. I'm, I'm hearing that and kind of evolving. But it, your creative work and your community focus seems to drive you. So you learn as you go when it comes to some of the things like the renovation, it sounds like, in the brewery district. Yes. it's And I'm learning And this is actually a quote from one of my uh, mentors. He said to me recently, Doug, all this is easier done than said. You actually have to do it rather than talk about it. The hard hard part is sometimes explaining what a project's going to entail and going through pre-production on a film or just walking through process. And, you know, he said to me one day, it's all easier done than said. So sometimes it's easier just to take action. Do it. it. Yes. I mean... There's a time and place to, you know, measure risk and reward and to be calculated. But I try to err on the side of action in every area of my life. Moving forward. So with community, how do you ensure you're working to achieve that goal in what you do every day since you have learned to be more hands off and let people really blossom? How do you continue to make sure community is central to what you all are doing? I think community is one of the world's most valuable resources I think attention, trust, and community are all three the most valuable resources, in my opinion. If you don't have somebody's attention, you cannot build trust. If there is not trust, we cannot build community. Columbus is really known for its ability, speaking of community, to embrace its entrepreneurial community. So back in 2018, you know, Forbes named us the best city in the country for rising startups. Has your experience echoed that sentiment? 
100% absolute yes. I would describe Columbus as accessible. And the fact that I was able to move my business from the small town of Zanesville to Columbus and have the success that we've been able to have is unbelievable. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And with Columbus, if you want to meet somebody, you can meet them. You can get anywhere in the city, 20 minutes or less. If I want to meet a CEO, if I want to meet an executive, nine times out of 10, that's going to happen. So I think the overall environment and climate of Columbus is very prosperous and it's, it's just very, very accessible. We're almost done, but I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think is one thing that companies may not consider when they're thinking about creative and messaging? The thing that really sets you apart, the look, the feel, what, what, do, what do companies need to ask themselves before they take the step into the process? Great question. I think it's important for a company to understand what they believe because what you believe is going to shape your values and your values are going to shape your actions. And it's so important for, for a company to communicate from a place of truth. People know when we live lives, uh, today's uh, market, today's consumer, they have hyper discernment. They've been bombarded by thousands and thousands of ads so they can separate the good from the bad. So companies can't just say that they're good now. They have to be good. And if a company's going to connect with their audience, they have to operate from a place of truth. And as they operate from a place of truth, when they tell a story that's coming from a place of truth, that's what leads to the emotional connection. And when I say truth, I don't mean radical transparency or creating false connections and just being authentic for authenticity's sake. Yes, I don't that's not what I mean. It's understanding what your values are and really digging deep. And when you operate from that place, that is what's going to connect with your audience. But that takes time and it's a deep process and there's no magic formula to uncover that. So with these goldfish attention spans, Doug, how do we start to do that as a company when we're given between three and seven seconds? Sometimes in the blurb of video, that they might see online? There are so many ways I could answer that question, but to put it simply, I think it's about understanding your audience. People have an unlimited attention span for what's relevant to them. So if you present the right message to the right person at the right time, that is how you connect with your audience. But you first must know who you are and know who your audience is. And engage them at that first moment, and then they'll keep coming back for more, mm -hmm. living your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And naturally adding value, uh, putting them in a place uh, where they can become better. Advertising, marketing, communication can be used for good. If someone makes a purchase decision that puts them in a better place, advertising has then been used for good. But if they regret that decision, then that's very unfortunate. That's manipulation. So anytime we engage with a company, we have to believe in their product or service in order for us to get their audience to believe in their product or service. So Doug Joseph, uh, you know, there's been a lot to unpack here today. Any parting wisdom, though, that you'd like to leave us with? Yes, I, I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it again, but I think it's important to take advice from people who are where you want to be. And as you're going through your journey with entrepreneurship, I think it's important to realize that Yes, passion is so important, 
but passion is a fruit, not the root. And as you're going through your journey, yes, I'm passionate about so many things in my life outside of business, but the things that I now do and I've become good at, I'm more passionate about in a lot of ways than when I originally started the business. It's evolved. So I would encourage uh, to folks who are listening, the things you're good at are probably what you're going to become passionate about. And it's, it's in reverse. So I would leave you with that. Focus on uh, what you're good at. And passion is the fruit, not the root. Doug Joseph, founder and CEO of Serif Creative. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Appreciate being on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews. All you have to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or your preferred podcatcher. Leave your comments, suggestions there. We will definitely find them. We read every single piece of feedback, and then we use those ideas as we plan for our future episodes. It also helps people find our show. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University and is recorded at Capital's Convergent Media Center. So we want to say thanks to their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping really bring this program to life for our listeners. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to our next conversation. 